Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play welcome back to another episode of the vertical podcast with chris mannix got a good show for you this week two guests on the podcast first up alvin gentry the head coach new orleans pelicans it was a disappointing season last year for gentry and the pelicans a lot of people expect them to take the next step injuries derailed their season early they couldn't get into the playoff mix those expectations lofty once again how will they deal with the loss of drew holiday what's the next step for anthony davis we'll talk to alvin gentry about that coming up also, Jason Lloyd, Akron Beacon Journal, will check in with Jason on the state of the Cavs. When will J.R. Smith sign? Are we done with Kevin Love trade rumors? lot to get to with Jason on what should be another interesting season in Cleveland. All right, let's go. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, Chris Mannix. What's hard to believe, but yeah, the NBA season is right around the corner. Training camp in full swing. Preseason games underway. And one of the more intriguing teams to me is the New Orleans Pelicans. A lot of talent on that team. A lot of expectations. Uh, Didn't quite meet those expectations last year. Injuries came into play, some other stuff. But this year, a lot of excitement around that team. The coach of that team is Alvin Gentry, and Alvin joins me here on the podcast. Alvin, how many years in the NBA is this for you now? Uh, number 28. Do you still get excited when, when training camps roll around? I do, and especially in uh, this situation, you know, as you said, last year 
uh, we had great expectations, and then we were just decimated by injury. So uh, this year we still have some key people out. Uh, we feel like we're going to get them back, and uh, I, I really feel like when we do and everything clicks that we've got a chance to have a good season. When you look back at last year and beyond the injuries, what did you learn in sort of a, a self-evaluation and evaluation of, of you and the staff, and what did you learn about how you coached that team and, and, and what you might do differently this year? Well, I, I thought last year the guys were great, and I thought we were headed in the right direction, as I said. Then we had a couple of uh, situations where we had key injuries. I do think that uh, as a coaching staff, we have to adjust a little bit as far as how much of an up-tempo game we can play, depending on the personnel. But that being said, we did change the personnel somewhat and added some guys that I think are very good at playing up-tempo, and uh, we'll see how it all works out. Did you come in there last year? Because a lot of people thought that, like, all right, your coaching style and this team, it's the perfect fit. You've got a coach that that thrives in an up-tempo system and a bunch of players that look like they can play in that system. What was it? Was it less of a fit than you thought, you know, beyond the injuries? No, no, not really. Not really, because, you know, last year we had Ryan Anderson, who was a you know, four that could space the floor. Anthony Davis is as good a player as there is in the league. Uh, Drew Holiday, you know, I thought he was perfect for playing this way. Uh, we had a lot of guys that we felt, you know, Eric Gordon that really kind of played this way. And we had a lot of guys that we felt good about, but we just never could establish any consistency, and that was mainly because of the uh, injuries that we ran into. You're in the city of New Orleans, which is is one of the more interesting cities to me to to visit every time. Uh, your second year there, what have you what have you learned about the city itself in your time in New Orleans? I'm probably the most dedicated fans there are. You know, I think the thing you know how usually uh, sports work. You have a bad year, they don't want to hear excuses. Uh, they just want results. But I think the people here are just so dedicated to their teams. I couldn't believe it and and the support that we got and you know there's a love for this city that's like no other and you know when you go through something like Katrina I think it brings the city closer together but in this case the city was always very very close so it just brought it that much closer together so great people great fans and the best restaurants in America I'll put them <laughs> up against any 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 city in America that want to have a restaurant cook off bring it on okay <laughs> I remember years ago post Katrina I kind of explored some of that ninth ward and, and some of the areas down there and it really is eye-opening just to you know you read the stuff about what happened down there but to actually see it I mean how much exploring did you do? in that first year there about, you know, of all the, the, the devastation that was caused down there? Well, a, a lot because, you know, in my case, I was here, you know, the year before Katrina came as an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. So to go back to some of the places and, and just take a look at them and some of the places doesn't even exist anymore, you know, a couple of little cities that I really like going to, you know, just got totally wiped out. So it's just uh, it's it's a real difficult situation. But you know the the people down here, I mean, talk about perseverance and just hanging in and and uh, and loving the city and coming back and trying to rebuild. Uh, it's really really good to see. Yeah, perseverance is the right word. It's got to take a lot of. I mean, we talk in sports about mental toughness all the time. It's got to take a lot of mental toughness to to stick it out down there and to rebuild after something like that. That happened. Uh, you're exactly right, but I tell you, in this case right here, the people love this place so much that they're not about to leave this this mm-hmm. city. There's so many people that have have been born, raised, and never left the city and won't leave the city. And I think that's why there's such a love for this city uh, by the people here. 
All right, so on basketball here, Anthony Davis, is he really an inch taller than last year? Uh, he really is, and he's <laughs> done a good job of uh, changing his body. I think he's gotten added some muscle mass, you know, so his post-up position, he's able to hold a little better. He's still shooting the ball well, and, you know, he's done that and gained the weight and gained the muscle mass without losing any quickness, So, and that was the key, I think. The exit meetings you had with him last year, what was your message to him as he entered the offseason? Because I know there were injuries were involved, but, but what, did you, what did you want to get through to him at the end? Well, the big thing is, is that we said, you know, in order for us to be great, you've got to be great, you know. And these are the things you need to work on. We wanted him to work on his post-ups and uh, holding the post a little better, getting a little stronger in that respect, and he did that. We wanted him to continue to try to, you know, step out to the three-point line and increase his range. Uh, I think you'll see that happen. He did it last year, made more threes last year than he's made his whole career uh, combined. So uh, I thought that was a good sign. And then we told him he has to be great defensively, not just blocking shots, but just great defensively. And I think he's really spent time in his player development of trying to work on uh, some defensive concepts that we've had. That's interesting because when you think of Anthony Davis, you do think already great defender because of, like you said, that, that shot blocking. What, what specifically did you want him to improve on on that end of the floor? Well, I guess the big thing for me was that uh, he left his feet, you know, being a shot blocker, he left his feet quite a bit, and we just tried to get him to the point where, you know, he was always the second jumper in challenging shots, and I think he's done a good job with that also. His three-point shooting that you mentioned last year went from, you know, basically non-existent in his first three years to right around, I think, two per game last year. What did, what did you think of the shot selection in general for Anthony Davis? Well, no, I think he takes good shots, and sometimes he's almost too uh, unselfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he takes good shots. The threes that he took were, were all, you know, very good looks at the basket. The only ones that he would take under duress, obviously, in shot clock situations. But uh, I just think that, you know, he'll continue to get better in that area, and he'll continue to expand out. And it's uh, he's a great player. He had a great year last year, but, you know, in our case, when you don't win games – then uh, uh, they're not going to talk about you for MVP or anything. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. What did you notice about the way defenses defended that three-point shot at him? Were they were they giving him some of those looks? Was it you know getting up in his space, which I would imagine would be the goal because he's so good at his position off the dribble? Well, they they did, and uh, as I said, most of the threes that he took were under situations where uh, they were open looks and, and, and everything that we wanted him to do. So uh, we felt good about that, and uh, uh, as I said, he will get better in all phases of his game. I think the one thing people have a little bit of a tendency to overlook is that he's 23 years old. <laughs> Yeah, it's nice to have that luxury. To, All right, I'm going to work on some stuff, but I am only 23 years old at this exactly. point. Um, do you have like a, a number in mind for the two of you with, in terms of you know, three-point percentages, number of shots attempted per game? How do you look at the, the three-point shot with him? I don't have any kind of expectations as to you know, how many he will shoot, but I think that the key for us is that we told him that we'd like to see him get up in the – you know, high 30s and almost try to get to 40, really. You said something interesting uh, early on in training camp about, you know, possibly playing Davis at the five. Is that just something because you thought of because of his body this year? Is it a natural uh, progression for him? Why why have you left the door open for it to see him more at the five? Oh, no, I don't know if it's more, but we would definitely play him some at the five spot because I think it's a situation where, 
you know, he can hold his ground a little better. But it gives us such an advantage offensively, especially when we're playing against the bigger, strongest uh, centers in this league. You've been tinkering with your lineups and talking about tinkering with your lineups early on in, in camp. Is there something specific you're looking for with the starting lineup right now? Well, I mean, I, really, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, we've got three new guys that's going to be significantly uh, involved with our team. we got Buddy and Check, two draft choices, where Buddy is definitely going to be very much involved. So I'm just trying to learn these guys as much as uh, anything, where they like to get the ball, uh, you know, situations of how they play and some of the things that they do. So that more so than anything is kind of what I'm looking for. How closely, if at all, did you watch the Buddy Heald show last year in college basketball? I didn't watch it a lot, you know, because of our situations and games going on. Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of time after the season watching him. And, uh, you know, he was a guy that obviously we covered it and didn't think that we'd have an opportunity to get him at all. So, uh, good for us, and, and he's such a hardworking kid and wants to be great that he really is a pleasure to coach. And I've talked to Coach Kruger, Kruger's coach, a couple of times and got some coaching tips from him as far as dealing with Buddy, and I just think he's, he's going to be a really good situation. I can imagine you, you learn a lot about a guy the first week or two in camp that maybe you didn't know just from watching him in workouts or on film or whatever. Is there something that you, you've taken away from watching Buddy Heald in this first you know, week, two weeks of camp that, that stands out to you? I would say that he, and everyone says this about all their players, but he really is the hardest working kid I've ever seen. Most of the time he's in here three times a day. You know, he comes in early morning and then he'll come and have lunch and then shoot after lunch and then come back that night and shoot. Uh, He wants to be great, and I think he's willing to put in the time to do that, and I think the chances of him failing is very slim. Do you see him as like a legitimate NBA score, some high-volume scoring type of guy? I do, I do, but I think in his case, you know, he can do a lot of other things, and I think that's where people uh, kind of got a misunderstanding of what his game is. You know, he's a he's a good facilitator also, so, you know, I think there's a lot of things that he'll do. I don't think he has to average 25 points to be a huge factor in a game, if that's what you mean. No, no, I mean, is, I mean for you guys, though, is there a, a benefit? I mean, going to the draft, Alvin, you, we, we have become a league of uh, – you know, looking for younger guys more. You know, if you're 18, you've got a benefit over a guy that's 21. You know, buddy on the right. older side right, right yeah. now. But it's got to be great for you to, you know, you're, you're trying to win right now. You've got a group of guys exactly. that think they can win. And, you know, I, I had the luxury of having a guy that, you know, put in the four years there and, you know, have been in college coaching and have, you know, gone through the whole maturation process. So, yeah, I agree with you on that, that uh, that helps the situation, especially from a mental aspect of the game. How much contact have you had at this point with uh, with Drew Holiday? Uh, quite a bit, you know, quite a bit. And we try to stay in touch. And I try to do it to the point where I'm not bugging him, but want him to know that kind of keep him up on everything that's going here and, and want to know if there's anything that we can do for him. His brother Justin recently said uh, here in New York that basketball isn't even on his brother's mind right now. Is that kind of what you expect from him? Well, that's what we told him, mm-hmm. and, and that came directly from our owners. You know, the, the Bensons are great owners, and the thing that they told him is that, you know, your number one priority right now is your wife and your little girl, and, you know, when all that is in place, then you, you, you come back on your terms uh, when you think you're ready and when your family is ready. So I 
talk to him. Well, we talk about a lot of things. We don't really talk about basketball. You know, that we don't talk that much about basketball. So from that standpoint, I just want to know that he's okay and his family is okay. And there will come a time where he'll come back to our team. And when he does, he'll be very good. He's uh, obviously a key to your playmaking with that team. You guys last year, 15-8, and eight, when you handed out 25 uh, assists or more. You have set the mark previously that you want to see 30 assists per game. How do you get there? What What's the key coming into the season about getting those assist numbers where you want them? Well, you know, you, you have to be very good and you have to be willing to pass the ball. But more so than anything, you got to be able to shoot it in the basket. You know, everybody talks <laughs> about assists. Well, you know, we also look at a thing here that we look at good shot attempts. And uh, you get good shot attempts, you've got to knock them down. And we struggled in that area a little bit some last year also. How do you get better at that then? With the, is it just a, a matter of ball movement? Is it a matter of something else? Well, the ball movement is there, but, you know, you just have to put in the time shooting. That's the big thing. You just got to put in time getting to the spots where you're going to get shots coming, and you got to be able to jump up and shoot them in the basket. That's the bottom line. Lastly, Alvin, do you, you know Tyreek Evans on your team there, you know, kind of up and down last year. What do you what do you need from him this year? Well, first of all, we got to get him healthy. He was never healthy last year, and even at seventy percent, he played really good basketball for us. So we got to get him healthy. And what he is is he's a big, strong guy that you know takes the ball wherever he wants it. Uh, he's a downhill player. Uh, he's really worked on his shots during this time that he's been out. And so he's shooting the basketball extremely well. So, and he just add. You talk about a guy that was rookie of the year, and uh, you know you add that to your roster. And he's played great in this league for seven years. We get him healthy. I think we got a, a, a great player. Do you have that that kind of feeling about this team? You know, at, you know, healthy coming in. Hopefully, you get Drew back on the sooner end. I mean, do you have a what, what's the feeling you have about this team right now? Well, I just think when we're healthy, we're pretty good. Even when we were healthy last year, we're, you know, during the regular season, you know, we were able to beat the Clippers and Cleveland and San Antonio and, you know, Oklahoma City, you know, so we had some good wins. We just, we just weren't very consistent and that's what killed us. But if we're healthy and everybody's there, I feel like we're in a situation where we could have a very good basketball team. What'd you make of what your uh, old pals in Golden State did this summer? Uh, I thought it was a, a decent move. You know. <laughs> not bad. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. No, I thought it was great. And, uh, you know, the thing about uh, Kevin is that I think he, he, he fit in great with the culture there. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very good culture. I think he'll just add to it. I mean, obviously, you're talking about a great player, you know, one of the five best players in this league and on everybody's radar. So, uh, you know, for them to add that to the mix just makes him that much better, and he'll have no trouble at all fitting in there, and they'll have no trouble fitting him in. So uh, I thought it was a, a, a great move for Oklahoma City. And I think it was a great move for Kevin and that uh, he'll fit in great with them, and they'll make him feel right at home. You, you think those guys will be comfortable with him out there knowing what you know about you know Curry and Thompson and those, those guys? I think they'll be very comfortable. I don't think there will be a problem whatsoever. You know, those guys, uh, listen, at the end of the day, no one was happy, more happy for uh, Andre Incadala than uh, Steph Curry mm-hmm. for him winning the MVP in the finals. And when you got that kind of relationship uh, among your players, uh, you're usually going to be a great basketball team. I got a new guy in that, that assistant coaching job that you left a couple of years ago, which I think is like the greatest assistant coaching job in, in all of sports, that number two job in Golden State. <laughs> yes, it is. It's, it's yielded <laughs> no, two head coaches. 
It is. It's a, it's a great situation. And, uh, you know, Mike, Mike Brown has been a coach in this league a long, long time. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a great hire for Steve. Steve knows uh, Mike, you know, from his San Antonio days. So uh, it was a great fit, yeah. Alvin, I appreciate it. I know you're busy. Thanks very much for uh, dropping by, and best of luck. I'll see you down the road. Oh, anytime. You know that. You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Peter King here, reminding you to subscribe and listen to all new and archived episodes of the MMQB Podcast with Peter King, as well as the MMQB Podcast with Albert Breer and the 10 Things MMQB Podcast. And now a word from Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts out of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash Mannix. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. So it's now year three of the LeBron James return to Cleveland. Some great results so far. Two finals trips and, of course, the championship last year. Year three begins a lot of the same cast, a few tweaks here and there, but certainly some question marks uh, with this team and just how they could possibly overcome a third matchup with the Golden State Warriors if that happens uh, in June. Talk more about that. It's bringing Jason Lloyd, Akron Beacon Journal. has been covering the Cavs for a long time now. Jason joins me here on the podcast. Jason, what's the... Man, let's start with this. Like, what's the vibe around this team right now compared to the vibe you experienced the last couple of years? So different. There's so the removal of David Blatt and the re- being replaced by Ty Lue and the fact that they're coming off a championship now. All of those questions are gone about Blatt and whether or not he can handle this and his relationship with LeBron. Uh, it's been a, a relatively quiet camp considering LeBron's involved and everything he says is news. It's been relatively quiet throughout the preseason. I think that's welcome for everybody, given what you know transpired the last two years. They're really the the big question now uh, is just the the lingering issue of J.R. Smith and how that's going to get resolved. But aside from that, it's been tranquility around it, peace and tranquility. Do you get the sense? I mean, we know the players, at least LeBron, wants J.R. Smith back. Do, do you get the sense that management wants him back? And I'm not saying they don't even want the player back. But I wonder at what point the financial pill becomes almost too tough to swallow with a player who's going to command, what, $10 million and, and who knows how many, you know, I guess, how much more millions it would cost on luxury tax penalties. Yeah, it's like four to one right now is what they're looking wow. at, $4 for every dollar for where they are with the cap in, in regards to the cap. And they do want him back. And it's funny because if you go back to the, when the trade was made, when they, when they acquired him on Shumpert and J.R. Smith, I was talking to a GM after the trade who said, I would rather give them a first-round pick for Amon Shumpert. I would never have J.R. Smith anywhere near my team. Mm. And we've gone from that to Shumpert was the one they were trying to move last year because of the contract that he wasn't living up to, to the standard. And J.R. has become the irreplaceable piece. They have no way to replace J.R. Smith. You know, he made 203 pointers last year, which when you compare it to Steph Curry, you know, it, it kind of pales in comparison. But for what the Cavs need him to do, he fits this role perfectly. And, and, you know, JR is represented by Clutch Sports, who represents LeBron as well. And their stance is 
hey, you need this guy and you have no, rate, no way to replace him. And, and, and they're right because, you know, they have a trade exception, $9.5 million trade exception. They have no cap space. They're so far over the cap. But they have no assets to pair with the trade exception. They have, you know, unless you're trading one of the big three, which obviously they're not going to do, there's just not a lot of real tradable assets or, or future picks that you can attach to that trade exception to get you anything of value. So they're really in a jam, and they really need JR. But the Cavs, from the Cavs' standpoint, it's, hey, we're the highest bidder, and we're not going to bid against ourselves, so here's the best offer that we're willing to do right now. So it's really kind of a stalemate. You know, and LeBron really kind of lashed out at the organization here about a week or so ago. I was kind of surprised just saying that, you know, JR did his part and he's tired. LeBron is tired of going through this because this got strung out last year with Tristan Thompson, who's another clutch client. That was taken all the way up until just a couple of days before this regular season started when they finally worked out a deal. Now, Tristan was a little different because he was a restricted free agent and it was always assumed he was coming back. JR is weird because everyone assumes he's coming back as well, but he's unrestricted. He could sign tomorrow anywhere. And but he he's he's stayed in Cleveland throughout this whole process. He's attending Indians games almost nightly. He went to Ohio State game on Saturday. Uh, he was at the Browns game on Sunday. He wants to be here. The players want him back. I do think the organization wants him back. But you know when you look at the amount of money that Dan Gilbert spent last year and paid in luxury taxes, the tax is going to go down this year just because of how high the cap's going up. But I think that Dan is a little gun shy to to write that big of a check again. And I, I can't say, you know, Dan and I have had our awards over the years, but Dan was paying the type of taxes that no one's ever paid before. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just don't know that, or I, I shouldn't say it's never paid before, but certainly I don't know of many people who have paid the type of money that he paid last year for that championship in luxury taxes. This isn't, you know, we're not talking a couple of million over the cap. We're talking an exorbitant figure over the cap. And, and his whole stated goal was to win a championship and bring a championship to Cleveland. And now that they've done that, I don't know if he's going to be willing to spend as, as freely and loosely as he has in the past. Do you think that, I mean, last year you mentioned Thompson, and Thompson ended kind of with the Cavs blinking there. I mean, they gave him the, the big fat contract that he was he was looking for. There was some wiggle room, obviously, on, on both sides. But is it is it a comparable situation with JR? Do you think they'll they'll just blink at some point? Or, or I mean, how does this end? Because you mentioned the other options. I mean, I saw you know Boston. That, that's ridiculous to me. Like, why would the Celtics ever put J.R. Smith around a team of 22-year-olds? Um, that doesn't make uh, any sense to me. But, I mean, there doesn't seem to be any market for him. I, I don't see a team swooping in tomorrow and offering anywhere near the money he's asking for from Cleveland. And that's kind of the Cavs' stance on this, is if you can find a better deal, go get it. We don't think you can. And it's funny to me because, you know, I was talking to some people after the season ended. The Cavs... When, when last season ended, and, and even toward the end of the last regular season, they knew they had three free agents, Timothy Mozgov, Matthew Delavidova, and J.R. Smith. They knew they had three guys coming. And before Timo sort of fell off a cliff last year, the Cavs, you know, the, the talk that I had talked to from people around the league and agents was Timo was going to get a max or close to a max. And then he just absolutely fell apart, and he had a horrendous year, and he still cashed in for, with $64 million over four years from the Lakers. So that kind of tells you what market they were looking at for him. And then it became apparent toward the end of the regular season, Timo was not coming back. And, you know, I had people in the organization say, we'll just take the money that was going to Timo and we'll split it between Delhi and JR. Well, Delhi then went and outkicked the coverage of what they were expecting, you know, the 39 million from the Bucks. They knew that he was going to get a bump, but that was even more than they expected him to get. So now he walks. So the, for, from my perspective, I never thought the money was going to be a problem because you went from having to re-sign three guys to just one. So for me, the Cavs never really wanted to go in. And it's my interpretation. The Cavs did not want to go too far in years on JR. They were willing to give him 
a chunk up front, but they didn't want to go long term on him. And to hear, you know, three years, perhaps four years, which is the contract they gave him on Shumpert, and Clutch Sports can hold that up to him and say, hey, look, you gave him on four years and he's a bench player. Our guy's the starter. He needs four years as well. And I, and I can understand that argument, but I just think, you know, given all of JR's history, no one is willing to go that long on the guy. And, you know, and Clutch will tell you, JR has been a model citizen since he's been in Cleveland, and he has. Uh, he hasn't. He hasn't gotten in any trouble at all. He's. You know, there was one dust up in New York where a, a report, police report, was filed, but no charges were ever brought, and the case was closed. And aside from that, Jr. has stayed out of trouble. And he's kept his nose clean. And you know, everyone has written that Jr. has rehabbed his image story, and that's all well and good. But the league still doesn't trust him. And we can write it all we want, mm-hmm. but the people that write those checks and and devise those contracts aren't willing to go three and four years on J.R. Smith still. All right, so we're at an impasse then right now with, with J.R. Smith. Two years in, are you done writing Kevin Love trade rumor stories? Or are you just going to be – are we going to be – are we going to be talking about this again, I guess is my question. I have learned to never say never on anything. I think for now, just because of how it all ended, you know, we it's on ice for now. But never say never. And, you know, I know people think that we just love to stir the stuff up and create out of midair and create it out of dust. It's absolutely not true. It's not. I I wholeheartedly know that the Cavs did shop Kevin Love at the trade deadline last year. Uh, They were interested in Carmelo Anthony. Now, obviously, a lot has changed since then, you know, with with the Knicks sort of revamping the roster around Carmelo. And frankly, I don't know that Carmelo was ever really interested in coming to Cleveland in the first place. Uh, But, you know, I think for now we can table that. But. Never say never. And I guess we'll, we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. Uh, you know, Kevin was tremendous in that last game seven. And, and uh, you know, to come up with a defensive stop on Steph Curry. Um, and really, he played well. I thought Kevin played really well throughout the finals. He had one or two clunker games against Toronto. But aside from that, up until the finals, he was a big piece in what got them there. Mm-hmm. And the Cavs knew all along. The Cavs knew Kevin Love was not a good fit against the Warriors in that series. And that was what they had sort of been dreading all along was knowing Hey, if we get if it's if it's us and the Warriors, what are we going to do with Kevin? That that had been kicked around within the organization for months, and obviously it looks like it's going to be the Cavs and Warriors again, barring something drastic and unforeseen. You know, I don't see any way this is not a threequel in June of these two teams again, and I think it's going to be a problem again because hey, he played great defense on Steph Curry, he did a great job, but I still don't know overall what kind of fit he is in that series. And I, you know, I think that played out over the seven games. He stepped up when it mattered and all the, you know, congratulations to him for it, for coming through when it mattered. But I just, I just don't, I'm not really, I'm not writing it that he's on the trade block because I don't think that he is, but never say never. Yeah. And I think that the point you make there about the Warriors and their presence, it changed the dynamic. Like, yeah, they won a championship with Kevin Love, but you know, not just this year, but the year after that, you could be talking about Cavs Warriors Part Four uh, in the finals. And if that's your matchup, I mean, I, it's almost it's almost foolish for David Griffin to not explore every possible option to create the best possible matchup with that team in particular in mind. And you know, everyone I think to this point realizes that Kevin's numbers are going to suffer, and just because he is the third wheel in this big three, and I think he. He has demonstrated and said he's okay with that. And, and I think at this point, we have to. he did win his championship. He did everything asked of him. He hasn't really complained. I think he was shell-shocked the first year with everything that went on. Uh, he was kind of floundering and didn't know where he fit. I thought last year they did a better job of trying to incorporate him and get him involved and get him into his comfort zone. 
and I would expect that to continue this year and going forward. But you just, you just, like you said, I just don't know how he fits in that in that in that scheme against the Warriors. And you, and you can't gun for one. You can't set up your whole roster and season for one team because you know Steph Curry turns an ankle and Kevin Durant grabs his back. You know it could be the Spurs in the finals. Who knows? Mm-hmm. It certainly doesn't seem likely. But you can't just gear everything toward the Warriors, assuming you're going to meet them in June when there's so much to play between now and then. But I just, I, if it is the Cavs and Warriors, that's just a tough matchup for Kevin for seven games. Is there any team in the Eastern Conference right now that makes the Cavs even nervous? No, no, not really. I mean, you know, they were 2-2 with the Raptors. And, you know, hey, Boston improved dramatically. I, I thought Boston did a really nice job, yeah. obviously, this summer. And we'll see how much they narrowed the gap. But for now, you know, I would still put the Raptors number two behind the Cavs. And the Cavs and Raptors were 2-2 in that series last year, and the Cavs were almost laughing at 2-2, thinking, we are fine. No one, like Richard Jefferson even came out and said it. We are fine. Nobody's panicking. Nobody's worried. We got this. And sure enough, they did. They came out and blew their doors off again, and they, and they ran away with it. To me, no one has narrowed the gap. Again, barring injury, if everyone stays healthy and everyone, uh, you know, this team as is is ready to go in April, I don't see anybody in the East that can keep the Cavs out of the finals. In fact, as dominant as the Warriors are and as tri- terrific as they are, I still think it's more likely that the Warriors don't make the finals than the Cavs make the finals. I think the, it, it, that's only because the gap is so wide still in the East, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I agree with you on that one, that the Warriors, they have one significant injury. There's still, I mean, the Clippers are still there, uh, a couple of teams still there that can make them, make, give them some, tr- some problems, more so than the Eastern Conference for, uh, for the Cavs. All right, so with LeBron James... Every year, kind of that mid-season break where his back hurts or something hurts and he winds up sitting out for, for a couple of weeks, does does Ty Lue kind of in his first full year on the job take a different tact with LeBron in the hopes of, of keeping this 31-year-old going on probably 37 based on the number of games he's played, keeping him fresher for the course of the season? Yeah, you know, last year he played his fewest minutes. He averaged his fewest minutes of any point in his career. And they've done a really nice job of scaling him back, and I would I would suspect that to continue again. You know, Ty said this morning he's not going to play in another preseason game until the finale at Ohio State next week, and I think everyone knows LeBron's affinity for Ohio State. He wants to play in that game. So that's it. LeBron's preseason is basically done until that finale. And then beyond that, you know, it's funny when you mention LeBron in the regular season. I contend he's won his last MVP title uh, only because I don't think he takes the regular season as seriously as he used to. And I think he, you know, whereas we saw the Warriors go all out to win 73 games last year, LeBron was, was on these guys about the process and improving a little bit every day and making sure that, you know, practice the, the fundamentals and get, make good habits, create good habits for themselves. And they didn't always do it. Uh, they more or less really just kind of flipped the switch when the playoffs started, which it goes completely against everything you've been taught and, and, you know, that you can't just flip a switch. Well, the Cavs did. And I think this year they're trying to get away from that and they want to try and practice good habits and build good habits and do all that stuff. But I don't think you're going to see him go all out for regular seasons anymore. And to the point where, you know, they won 57 games last year, I'd probably expect them to be right in that same ballpark again, 57 to 60 games, because LeBron has learned how to pace himself to be ready April 16th or 17th when he can then start playing like an animal for the rest of the way. So, you know, I'm curious about, and I had this discussion with him last year about the MVP race, and and I said, do you think you won your last MVP? And he said, no, I don't think so. You know, Michael is really about the only guy. I, I did a story on this. I can't remember now, but off the top of my head, Michael was one of the only guys to win MVPs 
as late his career as, as LeBron is, is spread out as far apart as they are. We're now, what, four years away from LeBron's last MVP award. Mm-hmm. And I think Michael might be the only guy to win multiple awards with that big of a gap or greater. So, you know, it's just curious to me. He's the greatest player of our generation as far as I'm concerned. I don't think there's any question about that. But he just doesn't look at the regular season the way he did maybe three or four or five years ago. It's probably not going to happen this year, but when LeBron starts to to slow down, to go from being, you know, 1A in the NBA in, in terms of great players to, you know, 1 G or H or something like that. How do you think that manifests itself? What is what does a slowed down LeBron James and aging LeBron James look like? A power forward. I think he's not as explosive. I don't think he's got the ball in his hands as much on the perimeter. I think he's and we're seeing that slowly. You know, LeBron resisted playing in the post early in his career, uh, but slowly but surely, you've seen him work his way down there a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And certainly in the postseason, he goes down there a little bit more. But I think as he gets a little bit older, if he loses a half a step, if and when that day comes, I think you'll see him evolve into more of a power forward. And, you know, coaches will tell you today, if LeBron's a power forward, he's the best power forward in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just that good. So I, I think when and if and when that day comes, you're just not going to see him on the perimeter as much attacking with the ball in his hands. I think you're going to see him playing in the post a little bit more, passing out of the post. His court vision is incredible. The guy makes passes that only he can make. The way, the way that he can zip a ball from one corner of the court to the opposite corner and hit a guy in rhythm right where he wants it for a, a good look at a three. It's remarkable. And, and I think that's the type of player that you'll see him evolve into. Now you talked about the, the, the locker room being different this year versus the last couple of years. I'm curious with, with Ty now in his kind of first full year, we're post David Blatt sort of, as we speak, is the dynamic, what, what how would you describe the dynamic between David Griffin, the front office and the coaching staff this year? I think everybody's in lockstep, and that wasn't the case prior. I, you know, I think everyone's a little bit more in rhythm and in sync. You know, David Griffin, if, if you know, if we're gonna inject him a truth serum, and not, not to pile on David Blatt, but you know, I don't think David Griffin ever. I, I know David Griffin never wanted him here as the head coach. You know, that was Dan Gilbert's call to bring to bring Blatt here because he had heard so many good things. And you know, I don't think under the under the circumstance of where they were, you know, I don't think Dan wanted to trust another rookie head coach and tie. Griff was really high on Ty. He was really high on Alvin Gentry. And Dan went in a completely opposite direction. He went 6,000 miles across the ocean to get a guy that had never coached in the NBA before. Uh, but, you know, Griff was behind Ty Lue all the way. And it was important to bring Ty here to kind of be the buffer as David sort of learned the NBA. And, and, and we saw why. You know, Ty was always the break glass in case of emergency type of option. And, and they finally had to go to that route in January. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that they are on the same page. You know, Ty bet on himself. He didn't like the contract the Cavs were offering him last year after he took the job. And so he never signed it. And he won a championship, and now he's one of the highest-paid coaches in the league. And, and I just think that there's more – I think they're more in sync now than they've been certainly since David Griffin took over his GM. So how does Ty Lue manage some of the new faces in that locker room? Because the starting lineup is still great. You know, Richard Jefferson coming back is a positive – for this team, but you know, look, Mozgov was in and out of the lineup last year. Obviously, less so when when Ty was coaching. But Della Vadova's gone too. That's two guys that you know, rotation players, I guess, at least during the regular season that they lose. How, how significant would you say are those losses that they incurred this summer? I think Delhi more so than Timo. Um, you know, Timo just wasn't the same guy for whatever reason. And Timo told me last year that stretch when they first acquired him two seasons ago, 
that stretch was the best basketball he's ever played in his career. And he's a good guy, and, you know, he had an offseason knee procedure before last year, and I just don't know if the knee was ever healthy. He complained about it for a while, and then he stopped talking about it entirely. I just don't know if physically he was ever right last year, and hopefully he can get back to being the player he was, you know, when he first arrived in Cleveland. But Delhi is the guy who would go nose-to-nose with Kyrie at practice. Delhi kept the intensity of the practice, and, you know, a lot of people may not put a lot of stock into that, or that's something that gets overlooked. But Delhi went 100 miles an hour, no, no matter if it was the first game of the season, the NBA Finals, or a practice in January. He was the same guy, and it kind of it, it kept everybody on edge, and it was kind of, you know, iron sharpening iron, I guess, if you will. And I think that's what they're going to miss. He's, he's not... He's never going to be an NBA All-Star. You know, I think that's fair to say. I thought he did a really nice job in his role here. He knew what they needed out of him. His job was to face the floor and make catch-and-shoot three-pointers. And for a while, he was shooting over 50% on those. And he was giving them exactly what they wanted. I think he got tired down the stretch. I think defense has kind of backed off him a little bit and made him start driving a little bit more. And that's when he sort of fell off and it got to the point where, you know, Ty had to pull him out of the rotation for the last couple of games of the finals and he went back to Mo Williams. But Delhi's a piece... You know, they really don't have a backup point guard. If you want to look at, you know, where's the holes on the Cavs right now, the biggest right now is figuring out who's going to be the backup point guard. You know, right now it's an undersized rookie in Kate Felder, who they took in the 50s in the second round of the draft. They paid $2.5 million for the pick, so that tells you they're high on the guy for a pick that late in the draft. Uh, and they, th- they feel like Felder may have some of that deli fire inside of him. Uh, but, you know, certainly he's not – Walking in, he's not the player that, that Matthew Delavidova is right now. Felder's not quite a polished three-point shooter. He's more of a guy that's going to get in the lane and distribute. He's very athletic and explosive. But, you know, he's going to cause problems defensively for the Cavs. They can't really switch everything defensively. You can't really switch pick and rolls when your point guard is 5'8". You can't switch him onto a big. So it's going to have to alter the way that they defend. And, you know, when it gets to the postseason, it's probably not a big deal because LeBron's going to be your primary backup point guard, but you've got to play 82 games until you get to that point. So they've got to sort sort out this backup point guard role. And right now, that's, that's, a, that's a fairly big question on the team. But in terms of guys to help fill that deli role in terms of spacing the floor and catch and shoot, you know, Mike Dunleavy kind of fell in their lap when Dwayne Wade went to Chicago and the Bulls had to move money around to make him fit. You know, the Cavs were able to basically trade deli for – uh, Mike Dunleavy, with a little salary cap magic from David Griffin and create a trade exception, they were able to to slide uh, Dunleavy into the team. You know, Mike was a guy that shot 53% last year on catch-and-shoot threes when, when he was open. And the Cavs are counting on that to happen again. You know, you got to leave somebody open. And if that's the guy that defense is playing off of, the Cavs are very confident that Mike's a guy who can step in and make those three-pointers. And, you know, depending on how long this J.R. Smith thing takes, he may have a more prominent role than was expected. I'll finish with the most important question, which is, have you interacted with a Kardashian yet? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no. Chloe was at the uh, the, the scrimmage, uh, but I, I'm trying to avoid that at all costs. You know, it was funny. I was joking with some people, some other guys who cover the team, who said, this team has turned into Major League Two because Amon Shumpert is shooting what looks like a porno scene at the shower scene with Kanye, <laughs> and Tristan's running around with Kardashians. It's like, oh, my God, this team went to championship, and they've lost their minds. So this team certainly enjoyed the, the spoils of a championship over the summer, uh, and now it's time to get back to work. Was that happening last season? I, I, I didn't even 
I, that, I just missed that. If that was happening during the season with Tristan Thompson and, and Chloe. I, Tristan and Chloe? No, that was a summer, that okay. was a summer romance. That, summer Tristan romance. had a different girlfriend last year, and, a, and a, a championship brings a Kardashian, I guess. Hey, you do you, Tristan, man. You do you, man. Enjoy your, uh, <laughs> enjoy your life. Uh, Jason, I appreciate it, man. We'll catch up soon at a Irish bar near you. <laughs> Sounds good, Chris. I'll be there. That's it. My thanks to both Alvin Gentry and Jason Lloyd for joining the show. As always, you can download this podcast and other archive podcasts on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, check out the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick and the Vertical Podcast with Woj. Don't forget, if you like this episode and if you like this podcast in general, feel free to give us a rating, leave a comment. You know I appreciate it. We'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.